been in the book of Acts for about the last five months together. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to stand up, grab a Bible off one of these tables around the room. Uh, we're gonna be on page uh, 818. We've been in the book of Acts for about the past five months. And uh, it's been a really fun journey and we're taking the next two weeks to kind of close up and finish out our journey in the book of Acts. I know some of you are thinking who have been here the last few weeks, wait, we were in chapter 19, there's eight chapters left. So we're actually going to go verse by verse um, this morning through all eight chapters of the rest of Acts. So I hope you're prepared. Uh, we prepared the kids' teachers to go verse by verse, so they're ready. Uh, five hours, here we go, let's do this. Um, no, we're not, we're not doing that. We're, we're gonna summarize a little bit of what's happening in Paul's life. Um, and ironically enough, we're not gonna be in Acts this morning. We're gonna be in the book of Philippians. So the book of Philippians is where we're gonna be this morning, page 818. And here's the thing, uh, Paul, during his time in Acts, actually writes a few letters to these churches that he had planted. And so we're gonna take a look at Paul's heart during this period. Uh, so I really encourage you to go back and read the last uh, eight chapters of Acts. Really incredible story. Um, it tells the narrative of, what happening, of what's happening in the Apostle Paul's life. Um, but unfortunately, we don't get a lot of the heart behind what's happening internally uh, within Paul. And that's really where I want us to be this morning, kind of uncovering, okay, we're tracking your journey, Paul. We're seeing what's happening, but what's happening on the inside? What's happening on a heart level um, as we finish out this, this book um, together? Uh, like I said, I encourage you to go, go this week. You're doing yourself a disservice if you don't go and read the last eight chapters of Acts. It's this incredible story. And if you really wanna dive deeper, uh, read the last eight chapters of Acts and then uh, read all of the letters that Paul writes during this time of the story in Acts. So go back and read Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Go back, read, read the last ch eight chapters of Acts and then read the letters that he writes. I promise you, God is just gonna uncover some things in you and through you that, uh, that wouldn't happen otherwise. Uh, but uh, Philippians is where we're gonna be and we're actually gonna read uh, Philippians, the first chapter, uh, starting in verse 12, and we're gonna read uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. Like I said, if you're using one of our Bibles, page 818. And then we're gonna jump ahead here in a little bit to um, some later things in this, in this letter. But verse 12, let's read this together. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Uh, this past June, um, tell you just a, little, a quick, quick story before we dive back into the word. This past June, Keila and I, who's back with Ike and the kids this morning, uh, spent about a week at a little place called Dolphin Island, um, Alabama. Uh, we take a week with Keila's family, spend it at the beach, if you've never been to Dolphin Island, Alabama, it's this little island off the coast of Mobile. It's this really small, little quaint, quiet town. If you're into that sort of thing, this is a, this is a great place uh, to go. And when I say small, I mean like really small. You can bike from one edge of the island all the way to the other edge of the island in about 25 minutes. So it's, it's pretty small. Uh, well, on the west side of the island, 
um, it starts getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. And one day I decided, hey, I'm just gonna ride my bike to one end of the island. And as you keep going, you keep going, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. To, to one point, um, there's the ocean, there's a house, there's this road that's pretty much covered by sand. And then there's another house in the bay. So between the ocean and the bay is really about 50 yards, 50 yards of basically sand. And I just kept thinking, I was like, okay, what happens to these homes and this edge of the island in the middle of a storm? Like when a storm comes, like I, I can go ahead and guarantee you that is not where I wanna be. And I just kept imagining like, what happens to these homes on this very small edge of the island? Well, I ended up meeting a local real estate guy uh, a couple nights later at one of the places we went out to eat. And so I just started asking him questions. I was like, okay, you gotta tell me like the history of Dolphin Island. Tell me about like when the storms have hit and what happens. Well, uh, he had actually owned a house on that west side of the island. And he's like, yeah, it got completely destroyed, destroyed last time a storm came through. And he's like, yeah, but I own another house now. And I'm like, wait a second. You, you, your first house was destroyed in the storm and, and you own a second. He's like, yeah, I just understand the fact that the storms are gonna come. Like the storms are gonna come. It's not a matter of if, but when the storms are gonna come. And I couldn't really wrap my mind around this mentality, but there was something in me uh, that God began to uncover. It's not a matter of if the storms come, it's a matter of when the storms come. And I don't think this is true for just a few houses on Dolphin Island. I think this is true uh, for, for our lives in the kingdom of God. It's not a matter of if the storm is going to come. It's a matter of when is the storm going to come. It's a matter of when the storms and the trials of life will head your way. As I was reading the last eight chapters of Acts this week, I was just confronted with this truth as well as in the teachings of Jesus. I mean, it's just a reality. And I know many of you are sitting here right now and you can testify to this truth. You're saying, yeah, I, I have been in the midst of the storm. Like I have faced the storm of life. Many of you are sitting right, how, right now this morning and you're thinking, yeah, it's true. I find myself like right in the middle of, of one of life's storms, right in the middle of one of life's trials. And for others of you, you haven't yet faced the storm. The storms of life have, have not yet made their way into your vicinity. So, so what do you do? Like, what do you do when life does not turn out like you thought it would? What do you do when the plans that you make and the path that you have set before you doesn't go as planned and life just kind of hits you right across the side of the face? What happens when you find yourself in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a set of circumstances that you did nothing to bring about? What do you do when you can change nothing about the circumstances of your life? You have no ability to change the circumstances. They are what they are. You see, our brother Paul doesn't have the ability to change his circumstances. He tries, he actually tries to change his circumstances and things end up getting worse. And so Paul, he has this moment where he realized, okay, my circumstances are not changing. I don't have the ability to change my circumstances. But what I do have the ability to do is change my perspective. He does have the ability to change his perspective. And I, as I look at our brother Paul in the back half of the book of Acts, you can't help but notice there's just something special about Paul's perspective in life. 
There's something special about his perspective in the midst of all these storms, in the midst of all these trials. You see, the last part of Paul's life, I mean, it is absolutely brutal. I can't wait for you to go read it. It is absolutely, we're gonna summarize it here in a second. It is absolutely brutal. I mean, the, the, the persecution, the hatred, the animosity that Paul is getting ready to encounter is unlike anything I think any of us have ever experienced before. And it really struck me this week. Okay, Paul is facing all of these storms, all of these trials. And yet at the same time, Paul is probably one of the most faithful men of God that, that I've, ever, I've ever read about. You see, the, the results for being faithful to the call that God put upon his life are not the results that I think any of us would choose. Okay, if I'm Paul in the midst of this like last eight chapters of Acts, I'm thinking, okay, God, like I have really responded well to the call that you've put on my life. I've been faithful. Where are the blessings? Like, where, where are the blessings? When are they coming? I've been faithful. Where are the blessings? Where, where's, where, where's the wife? Where, where are the kids? Where, where's, the, where's the quiet four-bedroom home in the quaint town of Jerusalem? Where's the blessings, God? We're gonna see that's not what he gets, but he gets something better. He gets something deeper. He gets something that no circumstance is ever gonna be able to take from him. The reward of Paul's faithfulness is not an easy life, but, but it is a life filled with hope and joy. It's a life marked by peace and love. I think, I think what we see in Paul is the things that all of humanity, like all of us are ultimately longing for those things. We're all ultimately longing for, deep down within us, like we, we want joy, we want peace, that peace that surpasses understanding. We want hope. We want purpose. We, we're all longing for, for that purpose in our life. And Paul here in the last bit of Acts is gonna show us where we can find that purpose and that hope and that peace and that joy. We find it as we follow in the footsteps of our King, King Jesus. And what I discovered this week is that it was not Paul's circumstance changing that produced this hope and joy. It was his perspective in the midst of the circumstances that allowed the hope and joy of Christ to bubble up from within him. And what you see in Paul is this heavenly perspective in the midst of a living hell. A heavenly perspective in the midst of a living hell. And you see, it's the one, Paul's the one who writes I am seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. He tells us, hey, we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. That's the perspective in which Paul is writing this letter with. And my hope is this morning, here, here's, here's the goal. Here, here's what I want us to discover. The perspective through which we are seeing and viewing our life through. For, for some of you, you're, you're gonna uncover, okay, I've been seeing life with a heavenly perspective. Praise God, and we're gonna encourage you. Some of you are gonna uncover, oh, I, I have not been seeing through the lens of heaven. My perspective has been shaped not by, not by Christ and what he's done, not by Jesus and what he's done, but by the world around me. So I hope in our time, we're, we're able to uncover that perspective this morning.
You see, because seeing things from the right perspective, it's important. Y'all agree? Y'all agree? Say perspective, perspective. It's important. Here's the thing. The heavenly perspective through which Paul views life from allows him to view his setbacks as setups for God. It's different. It allows him to see his, his setbacks as setups for God. It allows him to not take on the victim mentality, but to actually claim victory. This perspective by the power of the Holy Spirit allows him to see every obstacle that he faces and actually view it as an opportunity for God. You see, if anybody had the right to complain, it was Paul. You know, sometimes it's helpful to just look at life of people who have it just way more difficult than you. If, if anybody had the right to complain, it was Paul. If anyone could have claimed that victim mentality, it would have been him. But every moment that Paul was a victim, and we're gonna summarize them here in a second, he viewed it as an opportunity for kingdom victory. Every time that Paul faced a, set, a setback, he actually viewed it as a setup for the glory of God to break through in other people's lives. Every moment where an obstacle is in the face of Paul, he sees that obstacle and he says, nope, God, this is an opportunity for you to work and move. Now, I want us to get a little insight into what I've been talking about. I want us to gain a little insight into what Paul is going through in the book of Acts, these last eight chapters. And so it begins with this really difficult goodbye. We're saying goodbyes today. We know how hard goodbyes are. Shelby and Ashley are getting ready to, to leave us. So Paul uh, didn't spend a whole lot of time in these places that he would, that he would go and visit. A lot of times in these cities, he, he would be there for a few months and then he would leave. Well, right, right now, in the 20th chapter of Acts, he's in the city of Ephesus and, he's, and he spent three years in the city of Ephesus. Now this, for me and you, this is not a long time, but for Paul, this is a really long time. He hangs out in Ephesus for three years. He gets to know the people. He's cried with these people. He's prayed with these people. He's laughed with these people. He's lived with these people. I mean, they are a deep sense, deep place of encouragement for him. And so there's this moment where Paul has to say goodbye to these leaders and to these people. And this is how the last part of Acts is kicked off. It's this moment of on the beach, they're like crying and weeping. I mean, have you ever had to move away from a place that you love, a place of encouragement, a place or maybe a people that you just absolutely loved? Like this is, this is a hard thing that Paul's going through. But what he does is he views it as an opportunity. He says, okay, this is difficult. But yet this is an opportunity to empower the leaders here in Ephesus and for God to use me somewhere else. It's a perspective change. Okay, but it doesn't, doesn't stop there. It's not just a difficult goodbye. Then we see Paul, he's arrested and thrown in jail for something that he did not do. That's not, that's not something, anything I've ever lived through, but I know people who have. And this is a difficult thing to grasp. Paul arrested for something he did not do, and yet it gets a little bit more difficult. There's actually this riot that starts. I don't know if you've ever had a riot started on your behalf and they want to kill you, but that's what's happening here. And so there's this moment in the midst of the riot where the crowd, it quiets down. Someone gets the attention of the crowd and Paul uses this moment to share the gospel and to share his testimony of what God has done in his life. I guarantee that's not where my, my head would have been. Well, another plot forms to kill Paul. Not the first time Paul's wanted dead. Another plot forms to kill Paul. And he actually has to be smuggled out of the city that he's in prison. 
because they're getting ready to kill him and they want him to be able to withstand a fair trial. And so he's smuggled out of the city. But what ends up happening is he gains an even greater audience. He gets in front of Governor Felix and he uses this opportunity to share the gospel with Governor Felix. It doesn't stop there. After two years in prison for something, once again, he did not do, there is nothing that Paul did that he was accused of. He spends two years in prison, ends up appealing all the way to the highest courts. He ends up appealing all the way to the highest court in Rome in front of Caesar Augustus. Now, here's the thing. They're in Asia Minor right now. So they're, they're over here in modern day Turkey. They've got to get all the way over to Rome where, where Italy's at. And so they get on a boat. He's chained to the bottom of a boat, which that in and of itself is hard to fathom or imagine. We're not talking like a beautiful yacht here. He's chained to the bottom of a boat. Well, this boat get, gets caught in a storm. And this, this storm leaves them stranded out in the ocean for, I think, about 14 days with very, very little food, very little water. And what's Paul do? He uses this moment to actually break bread with the other prisoners on the boat with him. It, he uses this moment to actually commune with Jesus and invite others in with him in the midst of their pain. And then there's this moment where the ship actually shipwrecks. Yep, that's what's next in Paul's life. Not only is he in the bottom of this boat chained up, but the, the ship actually wrecks on uh, this, this island. But like God said, everyone's life is spared. And so God, Paul uses this as a testimony to what, to what God can do. Well, there they are shipwrecked on this island and uh, they're gathering wood, they're gathering supplies, and Paul is bitten by a poisonous snake as he's gathering wood. And you're like, really, God? Like, really? Is this, is this like the reward that Paul's gonna receive? Well, Paul's, God saves Paul. And the natives on the island actually think that Paul is a God, and he uses this moment, and he says, no, I, I'm not God, but I know, I know the God who saved me. And so he forms these deep relationships with the natives on this island that they crash land on. And these uh, natives on this island are actually the ones that end up taking care of them for the next uh, few weeks until they can get another ship to go to, to go to Italy. So they finally end up in Rome and you're thinking, all right, like finally Paul is gonna get to plead his case before Caesar. No, they're gonna put him on house arrest for two more years, two more years on house arrest. Now, here's the thing, Paul, Paul's like, hey, this is not an obstacle. This is not an obstacle of me getting free. This is actually an opportunity for God to use me. And so this, on house arrest, is where Paul writes all of these letters that we have that make up the New Testament. This is actually where he writes this letter to the Philippians, where we're gonna be this morning. And I wanna jump back into these words um, from Paul in Philippians, starting in verse 12 says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, now think about everything that's just happened to Paul. Think about everything that he's just been through. Think about every storm and trial that he's faced. He says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it became clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. At every turn in Paul's story, he could have easily thrown up the victim flag, but instead we see him claim victory. He could have easily seen each moment as a setback, but instead he views it as a setup for the glory of God to break through in people's lives. 
These moments, they were not obstacles in Paul's eyes. They were an opportunity for Jesus to be shared. Now, I'm always moved deeply anytime I see this playing out in people's lives. You know, those people that have just been through hell and yet they say, to God be the glory. You're like, I don't, I don't you know something that I don't yet know. You have experienced something in God that I have not yet experienced. I remember one of these stories, it just moved me deeply. And it's a story that you've probably uh, maybe heard or seen. It's the story of Nick Vujicic. Now this, this, uh, this guy is just un, unbelievable. He has been um, on TED Talks. He's given his testimony to literally millions of people. Now back in the day, you know you made it big when you're on Oprah. He made it on Oprah. And now here's the thing about Nick Vujicic. Um, he was born without arms and without legs. So throw the picture up of, of Nick. For some of you, you're, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, I've, I've seen that guy before. He was born without arms and without legs, something that I just can't even imagine. This is someone who had every right to claim that victim mentality. But instead, you know what Nick does? He's, a, he's an evangelist now. He spends every waking moment claiming victory in Jesus. Like that's how he spends his life. After struggling to understand like why God had done this to him. After struggling to understand why this would happen to him, like any of us would, Nick ended up giving his life to Jesus at the age of 15. And when he gave his life to Christ, his perspective started changing. His perspective started started changing, although his circumstances didn't. He began to think and ask the question, okay, what if my biggest obstacle was actually an opportunity for God to move more powerfully through my life? You see, Nick, through just work of Jesus in his life, and I encourage you to look up his story, it's incredible. He started seeing life through a heavenly perspective in ways that I can't even fathom or imagine. You can take the picture down. And the question I have this morning is, okay, when the storms of life come your way, when the trials of life come your way, when things do not turn out like you thought they were going to turn out or imagine they would turn out, what will it reveal about the foundation that your life is built upon? Because your foundation is the starting place for which your perspective is gonna be built. When the storms of life come, what is it gonna reveal about your foundation? What will it reveal about your perspective as you find yourself in the midst of the storm? You see, Jesus, he knew this would happen. I mean, he says it a number of times. He says, you know, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I actually wanna to turn to, to Matthew. He's actually speaking into this a little bit in this sermon that he gives in Matthew. Matthew chapter seven, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Um, this is Jesus talking. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, those who hear the words of Jesus, those who receive the words of Jesus, those who build their life upon the ways and the will of Jesus. This, this is what it's like. It's like those who build their house on a rock and it says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Okay, the storms of life came. 
the trials of life came and what happens? Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Then he goes on, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house. The storms of life, they came. And what happens? And it fell with a great crash. Now, if the sermon ended here, that would be like super depressing, but that's not where we're gonna end this morning. But what I want us to do, I wanna gain a little insight from, from Paul. It's like, okay, this is a reality. It's, it's not if, but when, right? Okay, but how do we have a heavenly perspective when everything around us looks like hell? How do we have a perspective that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms when it certainly doesn't look like it or feel like it all around us? I want us to turn kind of to the last part of this letter that Paul writes, Philippians chapter four. If you don't wanna turn there, you can look up on the screen. This is Paul. He's getting ready to close out this letter. You know everything Paul's been through. And this is what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul's writing this from from the prison. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Next slide. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so we know what's gonna happen, but how do we walk? How do we live? How do we gain this heavenly perspective? In the midst of life's storms, how do we keep the perspective that our brother Paul had? Well, I wanna give us four things, and at the end, we'll put, don't put up the four yet. Um, I wanna give us kind of four tangible holds from, from what we saw in, in this prayer from Paul. Number one, uh, we worship with a heart of thanksgiving. Worship with the heart of thanksgiving. If you're taking notes, this is where you begin to write stuff down. Number one, worship with the heart of thanksgiving. Rejoice in the Lord always, it says. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. No matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, Paul encourages us to, to rejoice and worship our God. Now, this is coming from a man who I think has the authority to speak into it, right? Everything that he's been through, everything that he's experiencing right now. Now, this is coming from a guy who at the very bottom of a prison cell while he's in chains is singing hymns in the middle of a night. It's in this moment that the chains are set free, right? If you remember that story earlier in Acts. And here's what I uncovered about Paul this week. He is not focusing on his circumstances. He's looking to the character of God. He's not looking to his own feelings to determine who God is, but he's looking to God's faithfulness to determine that reality in his own heart. So number one, worship with a heart of thanksgiving. Number two, put your real self around his people in his presence. Put your real self around his people in his presence. 
Paul reminds us that God is with us in the midst of the storm. Although sometimes it doesn't feel like it. We're like the apostles on the boat with Jesus and we're like, Jesus, wake up, where are you? He's like, no, he, he is near. He is near no matter what you're going through. Now he says, I, wa- I want you to both pray individually and communally. No, he says, be both in prayer and petition. And I want you to do it in an honest way. I want you to do it in an honest way. I want you to bring your anxieties before me. I don't want you to hide your real self from me. I want you to be honest with me. Bring your anxieties, bring your real self, bring your honest self before the presence of God. But not only personally, he says petition. Now think about a petition. A petition's not very effective if there's one name on the petition, right? Petitions get a little more effective when there's lots of names on the petition. So Paul's telling us, he says, hey, I don't want you going to God by yourself. That's a great starting point. I want you to bring your community in with you. When you're facing the storm, I want you to petition me with the others around you. Because Paul, he knows, he knows when we're isolated in the midst of the storm, what happens? God's voice is no longer the loudest voice in our lives. Our voice becomes the loudest voice. The enemy's voice becomes the loudest voice. And so Paul, he says, hey, put your real self, put your real self around his people in his presence. Number three, number three, dwell upon the good things. Dwell upon the good things. This, this one kind of hit me hard this week. I want you to meditate. I want you to meditate upon the good things in life. Here's the reality. You cannot get through the storms with a heavenly perspective if you are feasting upon the junk food of our world. You know, I was like thinking, okay, how how does your day start? How does your day start? What are you meditating upon? What are you dwelling upon? I think sometimes we wonder, God, where are you? And yet we, we are dwelling and feasting upon the things of this world. And so are we beginning our day with our Twitter and Instagram feed? followed by CNN and Fox News? Or do we begin our day dwelling in his presence, in his word, in prayer? What are the things that we are feasting upon? What are the things that we are dwelling upon? Where where does your mind go? Where does your mind go when you have free time? Are you dwelling upon the things of God? Are you dwelling upon the things of the world? We can't expect a heavenly perspective if we aren't dwelling upon the things of heaven. Okay, number four, you put into practice what you have heard. You can throw them all up now. You put into practice what you have heard. Paul reminds us something that I think we all know. Unless you actually put into practice the things that you know, they're never gonna produce fruit in your life. They're never gonna produce fruit. Some of you need to know what you need to do. You just have to do it, right? And here's the results as Paul tells us. You know, we see Paul in his life, in his words, putting these things into practice. And here's the results. Here's the results. He says, the peace of God will be with you. Even when the storms are raging all around you, the peace of God will be with you. It's later on in this letter that Paul will say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now there's some of you this morning and honestly, you kind of find yourselves in the midst of a storm. You find yourself right in in just the trials of life. There's nothing maybe you've done 
to dictate the circumstances and yet the circumstances all around you indicate that you, you, you're, living in, you're living in hell. For some of you this morning, I, I wanna invite you, especially if you find yourself here, to think about, hey, what are, what are the things that I need to put into practice so that I can gain the heavenly perspective in which Paul so demonstrates and tells us how to live into? For some of you, it's gonna be worshiping with a heart of thanksgiving, even when you don't feel it. Even when your circumstances might not dictate that reality, it's worshiping with a heart of thanksgiving. For some of you, you're gonna need to step into the second one. You've been carrying this burden alone. You've been kind of putting on the face, acting like everything is all right, and you're gonna need to step into real community for the first time. You're gonna need to share, you're gonna need to confess with your brothers and sisters here this morning, hey, this is what I'm going through. I need you to petition God with me. For some of you, you realize, oh, the, the reason I'm experiencing life is I'm experiencing it. The reason I have the perspective that I have is because I've been feeding on the junk food that the world has to offer me. I'm not dwelling upon, I'm not meditating upon the things of Christ in the heavenly realms. For some of you, you know, the storm has not yet hit. And I remind you, just like I said at the beginning, it's not a matter of if, but when. And for, for those of you where, where the storm hasn't quite hit yet, you have this opportunity this morning, you have this opportunity in this season of life to kind of begin to assess, okay, where are, where are my places of joy and hope coming from? Uh, well, what are the foundations of my hope and my joy? You have the ability right now to assess, okay, am I seeking joy and hope and purpose and peace in the things of this world or am I seeking them in Jesus? Where, where are your eyes fixed? Where are, yours, where are your eyes fixed? And I just think about, okay, God, what, what's possible? What's possible within our church family? What's possible in this city? If, if we as a community, if we as a family decide, okay, hey, our joy, our hope, our peace is gonna come from Jesus. I believe the world is gonna see something that they want and they need, and it's gonna be found in the people and the places of, of Jesus. So I wanna invite us to stand. We're gonna head to communion this morning together. I wanna pray for us as we get ready to head to communion this morning. Father, I just ask that you would... Um, Reveal to us this morning where our foundation is, like where, where our hope and joy is, is, is coming from. Uh, God, will you, will you open up our eyes to just help us uncover the places that we're, we're seeking joy and hope that's not in you. Um, help us to see God with, with your perspective. Help us to uncover the perspective with which we are viewing life. And will you help us to have your perspective, Father? Jesus, it is in your name we pray, and together as a whole church we say, amen.